We're so glad you guys are here with us. There's a few of us here, maybe 10 total, and uh, for you guys at home as well. Um, and and uh, grateful for the means that we have to be together. Grateful for uh, a little bit of creative solutions here with soundtracks and uh, Bob Coughlin and 5,000 pastors to sing along with us. We hope that that helps you. Certainly helped us as a team. Grateful for the team here um, to, to lead us in this time. We, uh, we need to be together today. And even if it's through online means, we need this. And God uh, wants to meet with us. We don't have to be together physically, though that's the normal means. And it's certainly better to see each other face to face than to have to rely on video. But we're glad for video. Just want to encourage you guys, too, as you're watching. Um, I'd love to have you here. Because uh, I love preaching to this church because everybody looks and interacts, um, but I can't see you via the video. So just, uh, I don't use emojis and comments, and I actually have my phone running. Hopefully it won't be too distracting, but I'd rather see that, that uh, you guys are engaged. And most of all, that we're hearing from God. So we're going to be in Exodus. We're continuing in our series. And this morning's passage, 15 through 17, needs no introduction. Um, the circumstances of the past week and the past month are plenty of introduction for all of us. I am very grateful for God providentially arranging this sermon series. None of us had any idea what would happen even a week ago. And yet God in his sovereignty arranged that we would be in this book that teaches us about being God's people amidst extenuating circumstances amidst trials, amidst things like plagues and wanderings in the wilderness. Here we are in the book of Exodus learning, and really as I prepared this week, I at times was overwhelmed by God's graciousness to us. Uh, again and again for us as a church, he has providentially arranged sermon series so that he could speak to us about what was coming that we didn't know anything about. And, and I'm so glad that we have this passage today that's that speaks to our situation so well. God himself, I believe, of course, wants to speak to us. And so let's pray, and then we'll dig into God's word. But let's pray and ask God to, to speak. We need his voice. We live by his word. So let's ask him to bless this time. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us in, in arranging Exodus to be the book we're in right now. And even this chapter, these chapters here, and we ask you, Lord, uh, to speak. We're hungry for you, and we're grateful as, as hard as these circumstances are uh, and might be. We're grateful, Lord, because it presses us into you. It makes us aware of how much we need you. And so we're hungry for you, Lord, and we ask you to speak to us. Feed us spiritual food today. Equip us and refresh and renew us and send us out from this gathering equipped and empowered by you, and be glorified in it all, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm actually going to go ahead and read through uh, these two and a half chapters because uh, there's so much in the story I want you to, to hear fresh, uh, and then we'll go in and we'll talk about it. So let's begin in chapter 15, verse 22. It says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into, in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Merah, they could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Merah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord. 
And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and, 27, and 70 palm trees, and they camped there by the water. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, the I am, your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. 
Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink. And there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. But on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let, none, let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is a tenth part of an ephah. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? God's word from Exodus 15 through 17. This is a wonderful passage full of truth, helpful truth for us. This passage sits in a transition point. So we, last week we talked about being delivered through the Red Sea. And later on we're going to get to Mount Sinai. So they're journeying from the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. And this is an in-between section here, uh, chapters 15 through actually 18, but this is a big portion of it here. And it's really a description of what it's like for them as they are on this journey. Remember, we learned that God purposely sent them a roundabout way. God sent them an indirect way to the promised land. The fastest way was to go north, to be there right away, but for reasons of, of strategy as well as shaping and, and teaching them to be his people, he sent them on a roundabout way. And this passage that we just went through is really a description of life on that roundabout way. And there are lots of truths for the people of God, of course, at that time. For the people of God as they heard this initially, as they got ready to enter the promised land, and for the people of God today. 
for us as we journey in this life in a roundabout way, encountering different challenges. We have this point of Scripture that teaches us so many things, so we're just going to look at a few things that we should notice from the section here. First, uh, we should notice that they are in dire need. The needs that they have are not trivial. They're major needs. They go three days without water. They don't have any water left. Uh, it's no small thing to, to be without water and food. So there are dire needs happening. Second, we should notice God's gracious and wonderful provision here. And third, we should recognize how they struggled with this, how they interacted with God, how they responded, and, in, and we'll take a look at how they responded, how Moses responded, and then really what is the lesson for us in that. So those are the three things that I want to look at. And really the bottom line truth here for us as we are on this journey facing perhaps unexpected and even dire needs, the truth is that God graciously and wisely provides for our needs. So let's cry out to him and wait for him. So first, let's talk about dire needs. As we go through this, they are struggling, as I said, with things like lack of water. You can only go three days without water. And so their water is running out after a three days journey. They are really thirsty. This is no light thing. This isn't like my Wi-Fi connection's not working right now. I have a need or, or uh, I don't have any toilet paper because everyone else took it out of the store sort of thing. This is life-threatening needs that they have. They arrive at a place that has water and then they find out that it's contaminated. There's probably... Uh, you know, a few more tempting things that when you have a dire need and you think it's about to be uh, fulfilled, to find out, oh no, the water's contaminated. And so they encounter this place at Mara where the water is contaminated. It's, It's a difficult situation. And then think about it. It's not just like a bunch of military guys, you know, it's the toughest whatever journey. And this is entire families. This is, you know, couples, husbands and wives, singles. This is little kids. This is infants. This is the elderly. This is livestock with them as well who need water. All with a dire need for water. So the needs are real here. And and we shouldn't go through this passage and and just kind of immediately think, oh, these people, they grumble about everything. These guys are facing really significant needs. And we don't want to pass it over quickly because it's a clue, I think, to understanding how God would want us to understand this as well. We also, uh, you probably noticed that there's not only the need for water, two situations where there's a need for water, but also there's a need for food. And it says that it was after two and a half months that they had a need for food. So two and a half months after leaving Egypt, they are hungry. Well, that makes sense, right? They probably had some food that they brought with them, but after two and a half months, it runs out. So they're without food for a while. Uh, probably not the whole two and a half months, but it's, it's a while. Uh, they're going hungry. There's nothing to eat, and they're probably you know, losing weight and so forth. It's, it's a dire need. Two and a half months since they were in Egypt. Two and a half months since they had a fresh supply of food. Based on what I saw at Market Basket the other day, I don't think we can make more than two and a half days without a fresh supply of food. It's really significant, and they grumble against Moses in that, partly because they're so hungry, right? They're They're hangry. And this isn't just like they missed a meal hangry or missed a day of food hangry. This is probably missed a week or more, maybe even a month, of food. 
That's what's going on here. The, their needs are dire, and we need to understand that. Of course, um, we have some sense of this with what we're going through. Currently, none of us have life-threatening issues, but that may happen. We are in the same place, and we, we don't know what's going to happen, but I think we should be able to relate to this passage. Certainly, people in Italy, in Iran, in China right now are experiencing dire need. And this passage is here for us to speak to us about this reality that at times, as we are on this roundabout journey, we are going to have dire needs. Serious needs. And God's still in control. Now remember, right? These guys just came out of Egypt and all these miracles. They just walked through the Red Sea, right? It walls of water. An amazing miracle. And you might think, well, if we had that miracle of the Red Sea, then certainly we're going to have miracle after miracle after miracle of food. And we'll never thirst and we'll never go hungry. But that's not the case. They actually are so thirsty, they're worried about dying. They are so hungry, they're worried about dying. And yet God's still in control. The God of power and might who rescued them from Egypt and has all the ability to do all that pleases him and to take care of his people is allowing them to face dire need. And we should understand this principle that God allows us to face dire need and he works in those situations for our good and through us for our good. And, and the first thing I would want to say is that we should recognize that in our dire need, we need to come to him. We're going to talk about this as we go through the passage. But first and foremost, it's just to come to him, to not just try to tough it out. There can be this instinct of, I'm just going to tough it out. It'll be holier and godlier if I just, you know, don't say anything and, and, I, and I just get through this. But that's not the witness of Scripture. The people of God are to be brutally honest with their need and to bring it to their God who knows their needs. We're going to see that's part of the problem here. They're lacking that approach, and Moses is taking that approach. So as we reflect on the dire need here, let us understand that God wants us to bring to him our dire need. He cares for us. He loves us. Christ himself has experienced suffering, has experienced this world, has gone through dire need, and has overcome. And he wants us to run to him and to cast on him our cares. 1 Peter 5, 6-7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Jesus says later, or at another point in, earlier actually, another point in Matthew 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? The following incident from the life of George Mueller is related by a Mr. Inglis who heard the story from a captain of a ship uh, that had Mueller on it. And the story goes as follows. He says, when I uh, first came to America 31 years ago, I crossed the Atlantic with, uh, this, this Mr. Inglis is telling the story, I crossed the Atlantic with the captain of a steamer who was one of the most devoted men I ever knew. 
And when we were off the banks of Newfoundland, he said to me, Mr. Inglis, the last time I crossed here five weeks ago, one of the most extraordinary things happened, which has completely revolutionized the whole of my Christian life. Up to that time, I was one of your ordinary Christians. We had a man of God on board, George Mueller of Bristol. I had been on that bridge for 22 hours and never left it. I was startled by someone tapping me on the sh uh, shoulder. It was George Mueller. Captain, he said, I have come to tell you that I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. This was Wednesday. It is impossible, I said. Very well, if your ship can't take me, God will, take, will find some other means of locomotion to take me. I have never broken an engagement in 57 years. Mr. Inglis, uh, the captain said, I would willingly help you. How can I? I'm helpless. Mr. Mueller said, let us go down to the chart room and pray. I looked at the man of God and I thought to myself, what lunatic asylum could that man have come from? I never heard of such a thing. Mr. Mueller, I said, do you know how dense the fog is? No, he replied. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of life. He got down on his knees and prayed one of the most simple prayers. I muttered to myself that that would suit a children's class where the children were not more than eight or nine years old. The burden of his prayer was something like this, O oh Lord, if it is consistent with thy will, please remove this fog in five minutes. You know the engagement you made for me in Quebec, Saturday. I believe it is your will. When he finished, I was going to pray, but he put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. First, you do not believe he will. And second, I believe he has. And there is no need whatever for you to pray about it. I looked at him, and George Mueller said, Captain, I have known my Lord for 47 years, and there has never been a single day that I have failed to gain an audience with the king. Get up, Captain, and open the door, and you will find the fog is gone. I got up, and the fog was gone. You tell that to some people of a scientific turn of mind and they will say that is not according to natural laws. No, it is according to spiritual laws. The God with whom we have to do is omnipotent. Hold on to God's omnipotence. Ask believingly. On Saturday afternoon, I may add, George Mueller was there on time. A wonderful story from a man of faith and I think it demonstrates the sort of asking that we should have before our great God, our faithful Father. Now, I can't promise you that the fog will lift on that first prayer, but I can promise you that God is fully able, and I think he would rather have us ask him for help than doubt that he can work. He would rather have us ask to answer dire needs than have us grumble and blame others. And he will allow much more serious things than fog to work in our lives so that he might drive us to him to ask it seems in this current circumstance that the fog, so to speak, is going to settle for a while. But let us not give up asking God for help, asking Him for healing, asking Him to develop a vaccine through our medical professionals, asking Him for help for our neighbors, asking Him for strength to believe, asking Him for power to love, asking Him to work wonders through the struggle. Let's pour our, out our hearts together, asking God and believing Him to act. And we have set up as a church a special way to submit prayer requests. It's on our website. It's on our Facebook site. 
Uh, we have a special page on our website now, now called uh, COVID Care. So you can go there and see it on the menu. And if you go on that page, there's a section there. You can click on a link and it will pop up a prayer request form. And please let us know. We have a prayer team um, that's going to pray and for those requests. They'll be kept confident and, and unless you allow them to be public or sh not public but shared in the church. And if you have a sense that God's given you a gift of faith, even just a tiny small measure compared to the gift that George Mueller had, we would love to have you part of that prayer team. So talk to me. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to ask. We're going to bring our dire needs to God who is able. Second, notice in the passage God's grace, gracious provision. It's amazing as we read through the story to see what God does because they are grumbling at points, and it's really intense grumbling. And yet God graciously responds to them. He, he works wonders, right? He, he makes this bitter water clean. Moses cries out to God. So Moses asks God. Moses brings that dire need to God. And God gives him a solution. It's a log. We don't know how that worked. But nevertheless, God gave him a solution. He puts the log in the water, the bitter water, the contaminated water, maybe salt water, whatever was wrong with it. It's made clean. God causes a gigantic flock of quail to fly into the camp to feed the people. God causes water to flow from a rock. Usually rocks do not produce water. So God's provision is miraculous. It's, it's fantastic. It's gracious. And then, of course, there's the manna. The manna is given every day except Saturdays for 40 years. They collect this miracle bread from heaven each day. And then on Friday, they have enough for the Sabbath on Saturday. I think of the bread, we don't know exactly what it was like, but I, I think of Lembus bread from the Lord of the Rings or something. But, but this is not fantasy. This is real stuff that God gives them. And everyone has enough to eat, right? Everyone has all they can eat. God provides for them graciously, and yet they are really nasty at times. They blame Moses. They get mad at Moses, and, and yet God still responds graciously. This is who our God is. He is a gracious God who, who responds to those who, who are even his enemies with kindness. Matthew 5, Jesus is teaching us. He says, you shall love your neighbor. And you, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust, he is kind and gracious to all. And this kindness is meant to lead us to him, by the way. It's not meant to be ignored. Uh, uh, the lifetime of kindness that we receive from the Lord is meant to turn us to him, not away. Paul says in Romans 2, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? His kindness should cause us to say, Wow, Lord, you've been kind to me, yet I've been a rebel. It should cause us to turn to him, repent from our rebellion and our pride and depend on him. He's so gracious. And when we were his enemies, he still has been kind. Now, most of all, of course, that's shown in Jesus. Because he gave Jesus for us while we were yet sinners and yet enemies of God. It says in Romans 5, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This picture in Genesis, 
this story in Genesis, I mean Exodus, sorry. The story in Exodus is a picture of God's character and his kindness that's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. We know that just because we know the rest of the story, but also there are explicit verses in the New Testament that actually say that this section of Scripture applies to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about this passage and about some things in their lives. And he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual foods. Now, he's making an allusion to New Testament baptism and the Lord's Supper. But he's saying, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. So he's speaking of this passage. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. So that rock and horb that was struck, and that rock was Christ. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the rock that was stricken to pour out life-giving water to God's people. He willingly, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, gave Himself to be stricken for us, to pay God's holy justice for our sins. Sins He never committed. Sins that were the opposite of his character and his kindness and his goodness. And yet he stood in our place on that cross and he was stricken for you and for me. That through simple faith in him we might be forgiven, reconciled to God, and might have living water poured into our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. What a gracious and kind God we have. Jesus speaks also about the manna here that we read about in John 6. This is in the context of he feeds a large crowd, feeds the 5,000, and they come after him. They come to talk to Jesus because they, they want him to do more of this. And it says in John 6, 31, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes, comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is this rock stricken for us, and he is the bread given for us. In his life, in his body and blood, shed for us, for our forgiveness and for life, he answers our deepest need, our most dire need. There is a hunger greater than hunger for food. There is a thirst greater than our need for water. There is a healing greater than physical help. We need God most of all. We need reconciliation with him. We need spiritual health. We need peace. We need purpose. We need real life. We need real answers. And Jesus is that provision. He is the answer to the deepest need. Part of what he's about in all of this crisis we're going through is to draw us back to realize what our deepest need is. A young and successful man who had everything in this world that it could offer, but was ever restless and unsatisfied, found this answer in Jesus. He later wrote a biography where he said famously, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts 
are restless till they find their rest in you. A young man's name, of course, was Augustine, written in 400 A.D. Jesus is our full and final answer, and we find our rest in him. He is the very best God could give to take care of our most dire need. And if he's taking care of our most dire need, he surely will be there with us for every other smaller need. Finally, our response. In this passage, we see the response of the people. We see the response of Moses. And there are lessons here to learn as we look at that. There are lessons here on on how we should deal with dire need and how we should expect God to work, what we should do. And the word test actually is used throughout this passage. There's four times in this passage it's used. God was testing Israel. Now, what do you think he means by that? Was God trying to see how tough they were? Was God trying to see how much they could endure? Was God trying to just, just you know, play games? Like, what, what can happen? What will happen if I do that? Did God not know what they would do? No, the, the word test here is not meant in that way. God was testing them to prove. In Scripture, that's part of what testing is. It's proving, it's refining, it's shaping, it's forming of the people of God into the image of God, ultimately. That's what God is about here. He's stretching them. He's testing them that, that they might believe him and listen to his voice and walk in his ways. I, I think of, um, I don't know if you guys, if you play baseball or softball as a kid and you got a leather glove. You got it from the store, and when you first get it, it's really stiff leather, right? And, and if it's a good quality glove versus like a vinyl kitty glove, right, you can actually do some things to make it better. And what you do is you take oil or uh, mink oil, right, and you rub the, the web with it, and then you take a baseball or a softball and stick it in the web, fold it, and put it in your mattress and sleep on it for like a week. Did anyone ever do that? No? <laughs> That's what I, we did growing up to make our gloves so that they would be the right shape because you want that web to be the right size and shape to catch with, catch with. Um, and, and it's a picture, I think, of what God does in our lives. We are like that stiff leather glove. We belong to him, but he wants to shape us and stretch us and mold us. And so he tests us with these things, and, and that's what's going on here. In, in, in this context, he's using deprivation of most, the most essential needs to get at who they are, to stretch them. And, and that's how it works, guys. For us as humans, really, we, unless we're stretched with dire needs, we're not going to change. And God uses that. He did that even in Jesus' life, right? The Son of God had to be perfected through suffering as well as a human and as the God-man. He had to, in identifying with us and in his humanity, go through suffering. And that's what's going on here. There's a test. There's something bigger here. And actually, the New Testament helps us understand what's going on here in this whole idea of the test because Jesus, when he is tested and tempted by the devil in Matthew 4, speaks about what's going on in this passage as well. It says in Matthew 4, Jesus was led up by the Spirit uh, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is 40 days hungry here. And the devil is saying, Make some bread. And Jesus is saying, Bread's not good enough. This is the word of God. It says bread's not good enough. We live by the word of God. 
And that's a quote from Deuteronomy 8, which is directly related to our passage, similar as Moses is describing what has gone on. He says, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know what? That man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, part of our response needs to be informed by what God is doing. He's teaching us this truth, that we don't live by bread alone, but by the Lord. We don't live even by health alone, but by the Lord. There is a deeper need and a better answer, and God uses deprivation to get at our hearts. And I think we've seen some of this in just the beginning of the COVID crisis, right? I think many of us have probably process through what would happen if I get this? What would happen if I were to lose what's most dear to me? What if I lost my own life or those around me? And, and though that sort of thinking presses us to think about what's most important. And to remember that we are children of God. We belong to him. We're safe in him. And he has something in this crisis that's more than just about survival. There's an opportunity to, to find our all in all in him and to love each other and to be a witness to the world who needs to know the love of God in a time like this. These are the most important sorts of things. So let's go to him. Let's depend on him. Let's cry out to him. Let's do what Moses does in this passage, not what the people of Israel do. If you go through the passage, that, that is there, I, I believe, for a clear purpose, to be a contrast. The people grumble. And who do they grumble against? Moses. Again and again, they don't grumble against God. They're not going to God. They're grumbling against Moses. They're blaming a, a human agent. And they're grumbling. And remember, they have a dire need, so it isn't that they shouldn't do anything. It's not like the answer is be passive, just grin and bear it. No, the answer is to do what Moses does. And that's repeated often. It says he cried to the Lord. He cried to the Lord. He prayed. He, he sought the Lord. And remember, this is written for the people of God as they're ready to enter the promised land after this has all gone on. And so there's a lesson here for us all, for them and for us. That this test of the Lord is meant to drive us to cry out to the Lord, to seek the Lord, to receive the good he has for us through the testing and the journey. To have a different perspective than we might have otherwise. To put our faith in him to wait on him for his full answer. And that is a good thing. God teaches us these lessons through difficult circumstances. It's really good for us. And, and the Bible and history teach us this too. Actually, uh, what is called the test of prosperity um, is a more difficult test overall historically and biblically than the test of adversity. So the test of adversity is like what they went through, what we might be going through. The test of prosperity is having everything go really well. And that test, more people fail. Because when everything is going really well, we don't tend to seek him and trust him and keep our priorities. And we have a history in our country of major renewal and revival and awakenings coming after suffering, after difficulty. After World War II, there was a great upsurge, a, a mini-revival. 
for, for many people, young, young men living through that war, it got their attention. In the Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts, many veterans turned to Christ. Back at the turn of the 19th century, things were really at a low point. Alcoholism was terrible then. Uh, the average consumption of alcohol, average, counting children and everybody, was basically three beers a night, the equivalent of that. So people basically are drinking six-packs, two, three six-packs a night, on average, across the whole country. It was a low point in our country. Things were broken, and it was worst on the frontier. The frontier back then was places like Tennessee, Alabama, North Carolina, other places. And in that dire need, God brought an answer of revival. And that's why those areas became the Bible Belt. That revival, the Second Great Awakening, changed our country. And it came out of adversity. And so let us take this crisis according to the Word of God. Let us cry out to God and wait on His answer. Let it drive us to God. Let it make us desperate for Him. Let us pray for our loved ones around us that they also would be driven to God. That this would make them realize that there's something deeper than health and food that they need. And it's God and it's reconciliation. Let us help each other in this. Let us spur one another on to love and good works. Let us be there for one another as we struggle. Let us gather electronically and otherwise. Thank you for so many of you already doing that so well. Let us support each other. Let us reach out to our neighbors. There's all sorts of things we can do. Just Peg and I, yesterday, Peg went out and just left little flyers in all the mailboxes in our neighborhood, about 35 homes. And, and these are our friends. We know them. And just said, hey, guys, we just want to make sure nobody's left without help. So here's our text, our phone number. And it was just to, just to make sure nobody was left alone. Um, not that we're going to bring the solution. Our whole neighborhood together is going to help each other, Lord willing, if, if we don't have help otherwise. There's all sorts of things we can do just to love in this time. God knew this was coming. And God arranged for this passage in Scripture for us this Sunday that we might learn and live in Him and even thrive in Him amidst this crisis. So let's conclude by just praying. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for what's in Exodus 15 through 17. We thank You for who You are. Lord, we, we ask You to speak into our hearts these truths and Lord, you'd adjust our perspective, you'd give us hope, and you'd fill us with love for you and each other and those around us. God, you're not surprised by this at all. You have good through it. We want to be ones who ask you in our dire need, ones who trust you in your gracious provision, ones who cry out and wait on you and don't grumble. So use us and be glorified in all this, we pray.